Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and still the only, we believe, legal podcast. My name's Tim Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL Yamalaba and Pleska. And as ever, is the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalaba. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Tim. Now, this time, it's a very special edition of Logical. We took a, a very short, a quick look at the new UAE employment law uh, recently. And I want to get into detail because there's an awful lot to discuss. I want to try to make this a little bit easier to digest and split this into six relatively easy pieces, uh, as it were. But Bloodmiller, can we start with something brand new to the law? This is something that hasn't been spelled out before uh, from a legal perspective. But let's start with equality in the workplace, because the new law really spells out attitudes to the way people should be treated at work. Indeed. Uh, so, and once again, we are talking about the new law number 33 of 2021, yes. regulating employment relationships. And this is a federal law. So it applies across the UAE and it applies uh, to all private sector companies and employees, irrespective of where they're located, uh, save two zones, uh, which are the DFC and the ADGM, who, uh, and these are the free zones that have their own employment laws. Otherwise, these laws apply to everyone, be it onshore companies or offshore companies. And as you rightfully said, one of the most groundbreaking provisions in the new law uh, are, is the provision, the entire section, perhaps, uh, on equality and non-discrimination. And uh, in relevant terms, there are there are these two articles, Article 4 and Article 14, that expressly prohibit all types of discrimination uh, and ensure, at least uh, verbally, uh, that uh, there has to be equality in the workplace. Uh, so, for example, uh, the law specifically states that discrimination uh, of all types is prohibited and some of the specific um, grounds on which um, discrim uh, grounds for discrimination, for example, are again, this is expressly in the law, race, color, sex, religion, national origin, ethnic origin uh, or disability. So the law specifically states that any kind of discrimination on any one of those grounds is, is, is against the law and is otherwise illegal in the country. Uh, there's interestingly, though, there's one exemption, this exemption is special treatment for UAE nationals. So uh, that, that perhaps is fair and understandable. Uh, but so in terms of um, uh, nationality, perhaps and origins and this this particular section exams, the UAE nationals. Also, there is a whole provision on ensuring that uh, female workers uh, have the same rights and protections and, as all other employees. Uh, and um, there is another provision, Article 14, uh, specifically on anti-harassment, and, and it spells out the forms of harassment. So, for example, sexual harassment, bullying, verbal abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse. But more notably, there is, in fact, a specific phrase a sexual harassment, which never existed before. So this entire section, and in particular Articles 4 and 14 of the new law, uh, are entirely new mm. uh, and uh, they are quite specific uh, and detailed in terms of what uh, the law considers to be either discrimination or harassment uh, and quite broad in terms of the scope of the definition of discrimination and harassment. Uh, and uh, th their language is pretty specific that the companies are not uh, forbidden, for example, from 
uh, having these kinds of practices. And there's another section in the law at the end of the law, which is in some ways similar to the previous version of the law, but it will be interesting how whether it will be applied somewhat different. And I, and that section is on sanctions and punishment. And remember, so this is we're not talking about uh, compensation to employees for uh, violating any one of these provisions because that goes without saying, if you will. But it's more there's a section on um, uh, penalties and fines that companies can be subject to in the event they violate any of the provisions in the uh, employment law. So theoretically, if a company has policies that perhaps violate the new law and uh, either policies or allow practices that, for example, are discriminatory in nature or or border on the on the line of harassment. And then, in addition to uh, an employee perhaps um, seeking compensation, uh, they can also apply to uh, to various government authorities that uh, would regulate. Uh, that company and uh, seek uh, penalties and fines to be imposed on the company. So it, a deterrent, in other words, uh, for, for the company to continue to uh, to uh, have such policies. Uh, how that section on sanctions and fines uh, previously existed in some shape or form, but it will be interesting to see whether now um, those fines could be um, actually more commonly used and implemented in order to ensure that employers and companies uh, stop practices and some of these practices and and policies uh, might be quite deeply rooted in a lot of these companies uh, and so that they can change these practices or at least have some sort of incentive to change the practices so i speculate that uh, there may be some um, some examples of uh, not just necessarily employees, but even government entities uh, doing inspections and uh, fining companies uh, for failing to comply with the new law. One thing you did mention was female uh, employees, female rights, uh, making sure that things are on an equal footing. And the, the new law, correct me if I'm wrong, does provide for equal pay between men and women or will provide for equal pay. Uh, that's a great question. And uh, just to, it's important to, um, clarify and highlight that in fact the previous version of the law also had a similar provision okay. uh, so it, it did yes it's just it wasn't really talked about very much and in fact that that provision was further amended a few years ago uh, to give a little more clarity so for example the provision of equal pay always existed and then a few years ago there was an amendment that also ensured that um, that applies to any types of work. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, apples to apples. Any kind of work that's more or less comparable in value uh, that had to be compensated the same way, irrespective of whether it's being performed by a man or a woman. Uh, so the law had uh, original uh, version of, of, of this prohibition and, and over the years was tightened even further. Uh, but now there is a whole new provision that uh, clearly specifies you know, sort of further protections and is a little more detailed. Uh, but yes, indeed, there is definitely a, an express provision that mandates equal pay uh, across uh, not just sexes, but also other kind of uh, demographic factors, be it nationality or uh, or religion or ethnicity and such. And um, we know that in, in this country, uh, this particular law would be well welcomed by many uh, because um, 
their companies do tend to treat their employees differently depending on which passport they hold. Echoing that. And that's part one, equality in the workplace under the new UAE employment law. Let's move on to part two, uh, Ludmilla, and consider types of work and employment contracts. The, The new law allows different types of work arrangements. So you've got, and I'll just outline them, and if you could run through Uh, them for us full-time part-time temporary work and also project-based work and this is new isn't it indeed the previous law almost uh, specifically and exclusively allowed for a full-time employment arrangement and only Uh, not only that uh, part of it was the, the law itself part of it was the practice that existed that was to, to work legally in the UAE, that was the only option. So not only, only could you work for only on the part-time basis, but you also could only work for one employer historically. And not only that, you also had to um, be sponsored to work legally, to be sponsored by that employer, uh, more or less. Uh, so it was a quite a restrictive legal framework, if you will. And... Um, uh, and penalties were quite severe and uh, repercussions uh, could also, among other things, lead to, for example, deportation. Uh, and we have seen many of those cases. So if somebody was working, for example, the, on the wrong visa. And so then that was all because the law only really was based on the assumption that there was only one type of employment, one, and that you could really only work for one employer. Uh, so... While the previous law also had some mention of hourly rate and that basically, at least in theory, had uh, an implication that at least there was some idea of a different kind of a working arrangement. But in practical terms, that was never applied and uh, all employment relationships in the UE were always full time and documented in contracts as such. Uh, at least that's if, if they were conducted legally or in, in compliance with the UE laws. Now, this new law uh, clearly has a full new section, and that's Article 7, and it spells out different types of uh, work arrangements. Uh, in addition to full-time, it also allows for part-time, temporary work, flexible work, and any other modes, um, including project-based uh, so this just uh, yeah, these are just some examples but a very clear departure from the previous uh, uh, perhaps one type of employment arrangement uh, and uh, just gives you the, uh, the clear flavor as to where the country is heading. Uh, it certainly wants to allow people to have more flexibility in the employment um, uh, landscape. And and one wants to encourage people to be able to contribute their talents to more than one employer, for example. And let's face it, this day and age with, um, I mean, even perhaps even before Corona, Corona just kind of expedited it, uh, is that you know, social media and internet and such, people really have talents that perhaps um, they could benefit the economy a lot more if they were allowed to apply those talents and to share those talents with more than one employer. So let's take doctors. The doctor could be a specialist 
Uh, let's say a gynecologist, right, or a skin doctor, and uh, they could be a specialist, and um, but they may want to lend their expertise to different types of hospitals or different types of clinics. Uh, and in the past, there wasn't any really easy legal way for them to do it because they had to be to have a full-time contract with one employer, be on their visa, and then if that employer would agree, they could sort of uh, somewhat... Uh, informally lend their services to other clinics. But uh, as a doctor or as a, some other highly experienced professional, you can see how that's not very helpful and certainly does not act as a, a motivation for other doctors to come into the country and uh, exercise uh, their profession. Uh, so um, now this is, has become a lot more flexible. So as a doctor, you can have your own visa, in fact, and now you can go and lend your services to different clinics and different hospitals, uh, which is a tremendous benefit to society. I mean, similarly, if you think about uh, the younger generation and all of their new skills and, and services they can offer to the business community, be let's say social media, marketing, advertisement, uh, IT, web design and such. You can see how it doesn't really benefit, for example, for a company to a small company to have their own full-time web designer, but they need those services. So uh, and so what does the web designer, what, what were the previous options for web designer? They had to work for a web design company, for example, and then uh, offer their services through that company. Well, that's not really competitive and certainly is a lot more expensive for the ultimate client or for the end user. Whereas now that same web designer can set up their own little freelance license, for example, and lend their services at a much more competitive rate uh, to uh, uh, different employers. So that's really, it's, it's with that in mind that obviously the employment laws are being changed. And uh, certainly I sincerely believe that they have that effect. And then that we will see, we already have been seeing over the last year, more flexible arrangements, but we will see much more competitive and uh, dynamic employment market because of this new law. Just a very quick word on contracts. I know that full-time employees will all have one type of contract, and that's a limited contract for up to three years, which is you know, one of the, the uh, possibilities at the moment. But there are other kinds of contracts possible, obviously. Yes. Yeah, so in the past, we the, 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 the previous law had two types of contracts listed. One was limited and the other one was unlimited. The limited contract had a beginning and an end. And the unlimited contract obviously just had the beginning and uh, no end. So and in relevant terms, the um, the nature of the contract mattered in terms of compensation at the end of employment, for example, uh, be it upon termination or resignation uh, and, uh, other, and and the benefits and how the benefits were going to be calculated. Uh, so th those are kind of in relevant terms, what the difference between limited and unlimited. And in general terms, the limited contracts were more, uh, more restrictive because they had beginning and an end. And so if an employee wanted to resign earlier than their term of in the contract, then they uh, would walk away from uh, all sorts of benefits. Uh, but it really depended depended on how long they worked for the company and whether they were being terminated or, or or they resigned. But but there was, I tell you, from a legal perspective, there was quite a bit of confusion and some gray area in terms of okay, so which one is better? How, how do you calculate? How how do they uh, how do they differ? So it, it was a bit muddy, if you will. So now. 
uh, the new law has moved away from the two types of contracts and it only provides for one limited contract. Mm. However, the limited contract, perhaps the, the phrasing of limited contract is somewhat misleading because it suggests that the definition of the new limited contract is the same as uh, under the previous law. But it really only limited in terms of verbiage, and it says limited contract. The treatment of employees and the benefits to which they would otherwise be entitled to actually perhaps is more similar to what would have happened in the past if they had an unlimited contract. In other words, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more uh, generous uh, and it's, a more, it's, it's more protective of employees' interests. So therefore, while the contract is, there's only going to be a limited contract and this limited contract has to be for not more than three years, uh, although it can be renewed for equal term or less, uh, but uh, it's a bit of a misnomer because even if you have a three-year contract, you could terminate at any point in time and you don't actually lose out on any of the benefits as you would have done in the past. Uh, so, um, yes, there's one type of contract. It will be limited, but in terms of the benefits, it'd be more beneficial for employees. Uh, also, um, in terms of the format of the contract, the law mentions that there will be executive regulations that will, among other things, set out a template for this type of uh, uh, an agreement or a limited contract. So there will be a template contract uh, specified in executive reg regulations. And uh, at least as per the law, these templates will be based on the skill set and the model of the contract. The executive regulations have not yet been passed, so we have not seen the template yet. But what we do know is that companies will have one year from the time the law comes into effect, which is in February of 2022, uh, to uh, bring their practices and their ultimately uh, contracts, employment contracts in line with the new law. Uh, so, yes, one type of contract, limited contract, there will be a template. Uh, how restrictive or how formal the template will be, we do not know yet. Uh, but um, I guess the idea is that there will be some sort of uniformity to um, contracts. And this, by the way, will be quite interesting to see because currently in the UAE, we have different types of uh, templates, employment templates, depending mm -hmm. on where you work. So on the mainland, as a mainland companies, you have one type of template. If you work in free zones, every free zone has its own template. However, over the years, especially free zones have been allowing companies to have their own and more flexible employment contracts. So as per the new law, I anticipate that if there is some kind of a template, it will be a very basic template. And ultimately, companies will have more freedom to have their own uh, contracts drafted. That's part two in the series uh, on the new UAE employment law, the types of work and employment contracts under the new law. Let's move on to part three, Ludmilla, more detail on probation and probationary uh, periods. Now, under the new law, employers are required to provide employees with 14 days notice, I'm reading, at least for termination during probation. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so the idea of probation is uh, actually quite an interesting concept because Probation existed under the previous law, and there's also a section of probation in the new law, but uh, it means something very different under the new law than it did under the previous law. In Previously, probation meant that, well, when you hire an employee, uh, then you hire for a proba uh, proba uh, probation period, and um, 
during this probation period, if you do not like your employee, you can terminate them without having to pay all sorts of benefits that you otherwise would have to pay if that employee were a permanent employee or confirmed employee. Uh, so, and generally speaking, that meant that you could just let go of your employee without notice for no reason and no notice. So that was kind of the idea of probation. Also, while the law, uh, the previous law provided that benefit of termination with no notice and no reason to employers, uh, it also allowed for uh, for employers to, to agree otherwise. In other words, employees also could exercise that same right. Uh, so, so, but in, in most cases, what we saw that that kind of six month probation period applied both to employers and employees equally. So if I, as an employee, want to leave during my probation, I can just leave with no notice and no reason and not have to pay any kind of benefits. So that was the idea of probation. Furthermore, in the law, it always previous law, it specified that probation could be no more than six months. It, it wasn't it's not the minimum of six months. You could hire an employee with on with you know, a confirmed employee right away with no probation. Uh, but if you wanted to uh, put them on probation, uh, it had to it, it can, could not be more than six months. Uh, and then also there was one other element in law and it exists as well now is that you cannot probate your employee more than once. So, for example, if I was hired on a probation uh, period for three months. And at the end of the three months, the company decided that they want to continue to test me and they want to extend my probation. They could not do that. That is how it was under the previous law. And that particular uh, element remains. Now, as per the new law, some there's some similarities, which is, again, there's probation and it cannot be more than six months. Uh, but there are significant differences between whether it's the, during this probation time, whether the employer terminates employment or the or employee terminates employment. So, for example, employer can terminate employment uh, during probation, but by giving 14 day notice. Right. So that's that's quite a, a, a big change. In the past, there was just no notice. Now there's a 14-day notice. So obviously you don't have to uh, allow that person to, to work for you for those 14 days, but at the very least you have to compensate them. So you either let them work for 14 days and give them notice for 14 days, or you uh, pay them for those 14 days. So there's for employers, there's basically an additional two-week uh, uh, two, two salary um, cost to uh, you know, to employees during probation than there was before. So it costs more money for employers because of this uh, probation uh, amendment. And now for employees, interestingly enough, it kind of depends or if they decide to leave the company during probation, uh, why do they decide to leave the companies? The law differentiates. Are they going back home because they didn't like being here in this country for one reason or another, want to leave the country, uh, or because they are leaving this employer to join a different employer? So this kind of nuance did not exist before. So if um, the employee, le employee leaves for new employment in the UAE, then that employee has to give, give one month notice. Okay. And yes, and the new employer must compensate the first employer for recruitment or contract costs. So that's, that's quite an interesting uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, amendment to the law before as an employee if i if you brought me to work in the ue i i moved here i worked for you for two months i want to leave now i just i have 
They don't need to give you any reasons or notice. Now I have to give you at least one month notice. And if I go work for someone else, that company also has to compensate you for uh, for the recruitment costs uh, for having brought me here. Well, I guess that kind of points to the fact that this is not an unusual tale that you're telling. This is something we hear. Uh, I've certainly heard this regularly, Ludmilla. Yes, and that's I mean, and that's why the law is truly, I think, incorporates the number of lessons over the mm. years that mm. the business community has accumulated. One of which is that this is this is not an uncommon practice where. The, um, um, the company makes uh, an employee an offer. They take it just because a stepping stone. They want to use that offer sure. as a stepping stone to jump onto something else. Uh, and uh, because to allow or an employee to work legally in the UAE, the company actually has to incur fairly significant costs in terms of visa costs. Uh, they are not insignificant. We're talking about thousands of dollars per employee. Yeah. And including insurance and such, so it's it's costly and it's also uh, time consuming. It's quite a quite an effort. So uh, and and this is in, in fact why so many companies would invite you know, make offers to employees and uh, give them uh, even some sort of uh, a draft contract, but would not put them on their visas. And so they would let them work on their visit visas uh, during during probation period because they didn't want to incur those costs. Because if things did not work out, they did not want to have uh, to have lost uh, the visa costs, which are quite significant. But obviously, but this, at the same time, if the company, you know, if, if the employee must leave because they didn't like the company or didn't like being in this country or had to leave to go back home, then these are these are reasonable um, circumstances. And so there is no reason to penalize the employees. So there's a provision for that. So if the employee leaves the country uh, and then they leave, you know, they, they uh, then they don't have to compensate. Uh, and um, uh, then if they have to just give 14 day notice. So if they're leaving the country. Uh, and they don't have to compensate for anything else. So in that case, if the employee decides I, during probation, I don't really like it here, I want to go back home, uh, then just as the company now during the probation, they have to give 14-day notice and then um, uh, and nothing else. However, there's another layer to it. If that same employee leaves the country because they say, I don't really like it here, and uh, they've only given 14-day notice, but then they come back within three months into the country and they come back to work for a new employer, then that new employer must still compensate for the recruitment costs um, as, as is before. So, um, so here it is. It, it, you know, one could argue, but I think it's reasonable to suggest that the law strikes a fairly healthy balance between employees and employers in terms of ensuring for employees as well that they are not even during probation they're not terminated with no notice because let's face it we're all expats here and how many employees uh, perhaps leave leave their homes and come here to the UE for the first time to work for a company and then something doesn't uh, work out and they are terminated on the same day with no notice no compensation it can be quite difficult so now there's a 14 uh, day uh, notice so at least they have that uh, transition uh, to work with. And similarly for companies, they, um, um, if the employee wants to leave, the company at least has two week notice 
to uh, make arrangements, alternative arrangements. Uh, so I think it's it, it's it's reasonable, and uh, I kind of like seeing in particular the the provision about the new employer having to pay compensation to the previous employer because we have seen, trust me, even in my practice, I've seen employees join your firm and then only to find a better paying employer and they jump ship. And, um, you know, as a, as a company, you lose out quite a bit of money on those visa expenses. And, uh, and if either of the party breaches this probation uh, provision, mm-hmm. uh, then they have to compensate uh, equal in the amount equal to the notice period. So let's say if I want to leave during probation and I'm just leaving the UAE and um, but that, yeah, I still need to give you 14 day notice. But if I don't do that, then at least you have now claimed for me for compensation in the amount of the 14 day notice. Uh, and also, if the worker leaves without compensating the employer, there could be an employment ban for one year. Uh, so this is quite interesting. So let's say same scenario. I come to you and I have to give you a 14 day notice, but I don't. I leave. Then, well, then you can put me, you can place in a one year employment ban. However, there is an exemption for that. An exemption there will be some exemption for some workers as per executive regulations. Again, the executive regulations have not been issued yet, uh, but when they are, we will know who those um, workers are. But I would imagine they're perhaps uh, more highly skilled workers because the idea here is that you don't want to restrict the freedom of movement for highly skilled workers. So if I am a doctor and I come and I work for you and I just we just don't see eye to eye within the first three months and I just feel that maybe perhaps you, you don't treat me well and I just don't even want to give you the 14-day notice because... My condition is unbearable, but I've got some valuable set of skills. So why should I continue to work for you or or face potential one-year ban, labor ban, uh, if I could offer my valuable services to someone else? So that's the idea. So as you see, very, very uh, interesting twist to the whole concept of probation and quite a, a big departure from the previous version. But I would uh, I would um, offer that it's uh, it's for the better. That's part three in the series, probation under the new UAE employment law. Ludmilla, let's move on to part four, uh, leave and holidays. Now, under the new law, a number of paid leaves are being introduced. Uh, Study leave is one, uh, leave for national service, morning leave, uh, and also parental leave. Can we run through uh, those? Some of those have appeared before, and I know that, but... There's something new here. Yes. So there is um, several sections, actually. In fact, several articles in the law that set out different types of leave. The general general overview is that now there is more leave or more time off for employees in the employment context. So the law here uh, does offer additional benefits to employees. And there are different types of leave, as you rightfully said. So one type of leave is the annual leave, and that's for Article 29, more or less. The annual leave provisions is the same as before. It's about one day of paid leave per week. And also, but employers can always offer more leave. So that's the annual leave. Now, there's additional leave, uh, such as bereavement leave or mourning leave. And that's uh, for deceased relatives uh, to the fifth degree. Uh, so for and that's uh, and that's anywhere from three to five days, depending on the degree of um, relationship. Uh, so that's a brand new uh, new law. Uh, and um, 
There's also parental leave, which is five days. And remember, this is parental leave. So that's in addition to everything else. And it's not just paternal leave, it's parental leave. So it actually gives five additional days per year for either parent to take in addition to, let's say for women, it's in addition to maternity leave, in addition to the annual leave, in addition to the sick leave, in addition to all the other leaves. So this is specific parental leave of five days. And there's also study leave. And that's a study leave that's after two years of service. Uh, there is an allowance of 10 days per year uh, to, for, for study. So I think that's great because in a way, if you've got valuable employees and um, you want to incentivize them to stay, uh, additional 10 days of leave for them to be able to study and improve their qualifications, I think is a great, um, it's a great benefit for, for both parties. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's also, and that's obviously, obviously there's a maternity leave, uh, which is now 60 days. Uh, and uh, there's national service leave for UAE nationals. And there's also provision for other types of leave, uh, which will be decided by the cabinet. Uh, so that we may see some more circulars for executive regulations, will, which will add uh, other types of leave. Interestingly enough, uh, there's one leave that does not appear on this list that existed before. And that is Hajj leave. And this is the leave that in the past, uh, well, I guess not, it was, it was specifically mentioned in the law. And it's a leave that Muslims uh, were offered to take to do the Hajj, which is the, uh, the Muslims for pilgrimage. Uh, mm. And uh, in the law, it was allowed for them that that Hajj leave was in addition to everything else. Well, now that specific leave is not mentioned anymore. It may be that it will be introduced uh, in the future by virtue of the cabinet, but I would imagine that the leave that that leave has been taken off the list for a reason, and in a way because to do a pilgrimage is just that it's a religious pilgrimage, but ultimately perhaps the authorities think that if you want to do that, you can do that and take that from your from your annual leave, as would be the case with other religions and other people if they want to take some leave that's sort of personal to them, they can take it from their annual leave. So um, again, at least right now, that specific leave is no longer on the list. And unless it gets added by virtue of executive regulations in the future. So uh, all in all, there are, there are there's more time off for employees. Uh, and then the employment, uh, uh, I guess, benefits are more generous by virtue of uh, this new law and the specific provisions adding more time off. That's part four of this special podcast, considering the new UAE employment law, looking at uh, the different types of leaves uh, and the specifications. Let's move on to maternity leave, Ludmilla. You mentioned it very briefly earlier on, but you know, there's a, there's a lot to digest when it comes to maternity leave. Employed females are now, I understand, entitled to 60 days of maternity leave. But how is leave for new mothers uh, broken down under the law? So uh, this is quite a significant change in the law. Previously, maternity leave was 45 days and it was 45 days full pay. Now, maternity leave is 60 days, so we have an additional 15 days, but uh, the first 45 days are at full pay, as was the case before, and the additional 15 days at half pay. Uh, so uh, all in all, there is uh, at least 60 days of maternity leave. 
Also, maternity leave is granted to all women who have served or after the first six months of pregnancy. So not before, but after the first six months of pregnancy. Uh, and by the way, interestingly enough, and this is quite groundbreaking, though uh, sad, is that maternity leave, the same maternity leave of um, 60 days is offered to women after their first six months of pregnancy in cases of either miscarriages or newborn's death. Okay. So if you think about it, this is this is quite groundbreaking because there are a lot of women that um, tragically don't uh, end up with, uh, you know, with, with a viable baby at the end of the pregnancy. And so here the law now allows, I guess, understands that those women equally need the same some, some time off. Uh, to uh, grieve and and just to deal with uh, the kind of post maternal uh, issues. So now that maternity leave is specifically offered to them. There was no mention of such leave in the past in the law. Uh, so for a lot of women, I know for a fact this is going to be of um, um, huge benefit. Uh, and um, I don't want to say relief because under those circumstances there's very little relief, but no. certainly. Um, at least will be helpful um, for the short period of time. Uh, furthermore, maternity can can be extended to allow mothers to take care of sick children or children with disability. Uh, so, for example, at, uh, it can be additional 30 days of maternity at full pay and additional 30 days at no pay. So those new mothers who have just given birth and they have a baby that is either sick uh, or disability, obviously, with a doctor's note, uh, then they will uh, be able to extend their maternity for additional 30 days. So now you take 60 plus 30, that's 90 days at full pay, and then additional 30 days at no pay. So all in all, we're talking about 120 days that can be uh, granted to new mothers uh, who have given birth and their babies have complications. And I will tell you, this happens all too often. We've got a client right now that gave birth to a baby and the baby is still two months later, the baby is still in the hospital. And um, she and she is struggling going back b between the hospital and work. Uh, so that's, you know, that's not easy to do. So now, um, in those cases, at least, there's a lot more protection. So this is truly groundbreaking and highly beneficial for um, uh, for employees and for the UAE labor market in general. And yeah. there is also, interestingly enough, a very specific provisions. And uh, this, by the way, is Article 30. Anything to do with maternity leave is on the Article 30 and, and you know, other articles as well, but in particular Article 30. But there's also provision express prohibition against termination on grounds of grounds of pregnancy or maternity. So let's say if you are on your maternity leave, we're about to go into maternity leave, there is an express prohibition for companies to terminate someone uh, either because the woman wants to go on maternity leave or is on maternity leave or just came back from maternity leave. Uh, so um, uh, any kind of termination on, um, on those grounds is expressly prohibited. Uh, additionally, and this uh, to some extent exists in the previous law, so after the end of maternity leave, when the woman comes back into work, for the first six months after that, uh, one or two times per day, uh, the mother can nurse the child. And that's up to one hour per day break. So in other words, if uh, it's, you know, she cannot express in the office or in the company, or she can go home for that one extra hour to uh, allow you know, to, to, to see her baby and to nurse the baby. So additional six months after the return to, uh, to work, 
the woman has to have more flexibility still to continue to um, uh, to nurse her child while at work. Uh, so um, there it is. Um, there's uh, quite a uh, quite quite a bit of changes to uh, the rights of women and mothers in the employment context in the UAE, and I think it actually strikes a pretty good balance. And I'm saying this also as an employer because. For women, for employees, obviously it's great news, but for companies, they always worry, oh, this is an additional burden or liability uh, for a company to incur. I understand that as an employer, being an employer myself, but I will tell you also as an employer, you want your employees to give you your best. And so if you, and more importantly, if we as employers, uh, we know that this is in the law, then we should be building our books and, and, and accounting and budgeting for this from the outset. Uh, so if we do this early on, then there should not be, um, it should not be a surprise. Uh, we should not be uh, uh, upset that we have to pay something that we would have had to budget for anyway. And uh, generally speaking, I think this is fair because it's not the one year uh, time off. It's not even nine months, but uh, it's kind of has a gradual uh, schedule uh, that at least, at least by some accounts provides for more or less balanced set of benefits uh, for mothers and therefore allowing women to continue to stay in the in the um, uh, market, uh, perhaps more so than they feel that they can, uh, given the lack of uh, protections and rights uh, in the past. That's part five of this special podcast look at the new UAE employment law uh, covering maternity leave in a good bit more detail there. Ludmilla, let's move on to part six. This is uh, kind of split into two sections, really. Termination of employment relationships under the new law, but also end of employment uh, entitlements. Let's start with termination by a company. Uh, yes. So um, general premise here, and this is nothing new. It's the same uh, premise that existed before that in the UE employment is always at will. It has always been at will and it remains to be at will, which means that either party can terminate at any point in time for any reasons. Uh, and it just becomes a matter of compensation. So it's not the case. and It's never been the case that, for example, an employer could uh, uh, could force you to continue working for them. And equally so, an employee cannot force the company to continue to employ them against their will. Uh, so that's a, a, a very, I think, progressive concept, but normal, but yet progressive, because in some countries it's not so easy to terminate someone, for example. So companies always could terminate, but but the, in terms of the compensation and uh, the grounds for which they could terminate and the, com- the resulting compensation, things are different. Uh, on the basis of whether it was termination for cause or termination without cause. Uh, And if it was termination for cause, how it was documented. Uh, And if it was termination for cause, then what benefits they would lose out uh, and uh, so on and so forth. So there was quite a bit of um, uh, almost mapping out to try to figure out what what entitlements employees would be uh, uh, what we could expect if they were terminated. Uh, but more importantly, there was um, in just at a high level before employee employers could always terminate the employee. But if they terminate an employee for what was back then called uh, Article 120, termination for valid reason, the termination for cause. In the past, a termination for cause was quite um, uh, be, uh, really usually applied for fairly severe 
uh, offenses. Uh, now, and, and it exists, a sort of a similar version of, of that article exists right now, before it's Article 120, now it's Article 44. And that's, you know, so employees can be terminated for cause, for example, if there's false identity, gross material loss, legal violations, but there has to be, there's, there be they have to be documented in writing and with notice, uh, or if there's failure to perform main duties, but, you know, it still requires investigations and warnings. If there's, for example, substance abuse during working hours, if there are acts, if employees act against morals in the workplace, if, for example, interesting enough, there's verbal, physical, or other form of assault in the UAE that, uh, that's uh, conducted by employees, um, that's also cause for, for termination. If employees are, for example, absent without legal cause for more than 20 days uh, per year or seven consecutive days, uh, or if they abuse a position for personal gain and profit, or if they work for another company without complying with applicable regulations. So any one of these sort of um, grounds uh, constitute grounds uh, for termination for cause by the company. Previously, this was uh, considered um, termination under Article 120, now it's Article 44. So in the past, if employees were terminated for Article 120, again, there was fairly high burden of proof in terms of documenting uh, termination and also giving requisite notices before employees are terminated for that reason. Uh, but what's more interesting is that now, when employees are terminated for a cause, companies still are obligated to pay employees end of service. So in the past, if employees were terminated under Article 120, then they would, uh, uh, they would lose out on all of the end of service entitlements. Now, it's, uh, those entitlements are still there. Uh, they might be terminated without notice and no compensation, for example, for arbitrary dismissal, but with regards to the end of service benefits, they still retain them. Now, let me give you an example. So someone working for a company for 10 years, and then all of a sudden, the company realizes they do something, they can conduct themselves improperly, and it's a significant enough uh, breach uh, for them to actually be terminated under Article 120. Uh, that's fair enough, but also that same employee worked for the company for 10 years, so gave service for the company for 10 years, so it couldn't have been that bad uh, for the company for the last 10 years uh, for them to um, deprive you know, of all of the end of service, which they would have accumulated for every year of service, which in this case would be 10 years. So in the past, this end of service last 10 years would have been waived. Uh, so, or would have been lost altogether. And it, uh, many cases like this happened. Uh, so in a way, it's a bit unfair because uh, it's one thing to terminate someone moving forward for having conducted something illegal. Uh, but uh, the benefits that uh, they would have accrued or, over the term of their entitlements or employment uh, should remain. Uh, at least that's the logic behind this new law. So now, even though there is specific provision on how companies can terminate, uh, under for cause, still the repercussions of being terminated for cause are less severe now than they used to be before. What if an employee resigns, or if, more specifically, if an employee is responsible for termination? Uh, so there are different types of uh, in, termination. So one is obviously, like you said, is termination by company. One is resignation, and then also uh, termination or resignation with or without notice. Uh, 
so with notice, it's um, basically anytime, whether it's the company that terminates the employee or the, or the employee uh, leaves, um, there is um, there's basically good cause termination. That's with notice. Uh, and then there is in that case, there's notice uh, compensation. And interestingly, so the minimum notice period, and this is quite, this is somewhat different uh, than before. It's a, there was always a minimum 30 day notice compensation, uh, but there was no maximum. Now there's a maximum 90 days. We have in the past have seen notice periods that are six months and even nine months, even one year. So now it says maximum 90 days, uh, though it remains to be seen whether the companies actually can contractually agree to longer notice period. And then in terms of the employee, and then also, as, as was the case before, arbitrary dismissal is still on the books. It's still a benefit that's available to employees. So if they are terminated arbitrarily, uh, they can be entitled to three months compensation uh, or for being arbitrarily dismissed. And that's in addition to their notice period compensation and the end of service. And uh, what's important is that now the calculation of the end of service benefits is the same, irrespective of whether the employee was terminated or it resigns and whether it's your know, limited or limited contract. So now it doesn't really matter. You've worked for the company, so you will get the same end of service, uh, whether you are terminated or, uh, or, or you decide to leave on your own. So this is also a, a huge, huge uh, difference or departure from the previous uh, version of the law. Uh, now, uh, talking about for employees resigning, if employees want to resign, uh, they have to give notice, and the notice has to be at least 30 days or, or 90 days, whatever is contractually agreed on. But if they resign without notice, but for cause, this also is now allowed in the law, and that's under Article 45. So let's say you want to resign because you're harassed. So you can see why you may want to resign and not serve your notice. Uh, so that's resignation without notice, but for cause. Uh, and that uh, you could do this and you can, you'll still be entitled to all your entitlements, including the notice period compensation. Uh, and you could do this, this sort of termination or uh, resignation without cause if the employer commits breach uh, and the employee then must notify the ministry or the regulating authority within 14 days before leaving. And that's one reason for employee to leave without notice. And another uh, reason, interestingly enough, is for the employee, the employee is subject to assault, violence, or harassment uh, to report this to the authorities within, within five working days. Um, and then from the time that they could actually report this, and then once again, they can leave without, have, without losing any of their benefits. Uh, or if there's a threat to their safety and health in the workplace, uh, then that's another grounds or reason for employees to leave without notice. And this, by the way, what sort of constitutes threat or safety to their safety and health uh, will be further flushed out by the executive regulations. And one more reason or grounds for employees to leave without notice, and that's if they're forced to work substantially different type of work uh, without agreeing to it in writing. Uh, so here it is. Here's a whole litany of grounds that give the right for employees to leave their employment for cause without having to uh, pay, uh, serve the notice and without losing the benefits, which in the past they might have lost. So I think this is truly a, a great development because let's face it, we've seen a lot of cases of employees, for example, feeling harassed or abused um, uh, or they felt that you know, they didn't want to be part of the company because the company was doing something improper. 
so um, here it is. Now, if they do, they have expressly allowed to leave uh, that, that kind of employment and still be entitled to all of their benefits. Let's get on to the end of employment entitlements in a little bit more detail. We've only mentioned them uh, in passing. Now, all full-time employees will have the same end of service benefits. uh, And I'll ask you to run through those, just to reiterate those. But what about part-time employees? Uh, So in general, by the way, so end of service, uh, and this is truly um, another uh, quite an important development, and that is in the past, uh, part-time employees were not only only full-time employees were entitled to what we uh, have come to uh, coin as the uh, end of employment entitlements or mm. yeah, or end of employment benefits. Uh, only full-time employees were uh, were entitled to those, not part-time. Now the law clearly states that all types of employees are entitled to end-of-service benefits. And that's full-time, part-time, project-based, but they are obviously proportionate to their time to the company. So I could be, for example, a part-time employee, but if I'm working full-time more or less, it's just I have a part-time contract. But ultimately, uh, in terms of my work commitment, it amounts similar to the part-time I'd be entitled to uh, the the same end of service. Or if I really just work part-time, which means half uh, of of what you as a full-time employee would work, I would still get end of service proportionate to my time with the company. Uh, so let's say in that case, it'd be 50%. So I'm still, I would still be entitled to the end of service. It just be in, in correlation to my time given to the company. So this is a huge difference and I think it's great. Uh, so, um, and then, so that's, that's basically uh, on that. Now with regards to, uh, I already mentioned this uh, in, in with regards to full-time employees, but all, all employees, by the way. So, there's no longer difference between uh, whether the employee is being terminated or they resign. They right. entitled the same end of service benefits as before, yeah. uh, as you know, it, uh, under either circumstance. And this is very important because in the past, for example, you worked for a limited contract for three years. You had a limited contract and you resigned after two years. You would lose out on all your benefits, so you would not receive any end of service, and um, you would even sometimes have to pay additional one and a half month of salary to the company for leaving your contract early. Uh, now it doesn't matter whether you resign or you're terminated; the end of service benefits remain the same. Uh, and um, termination without notice, even if you so, if you're being terminated without notice, even then you have you're still entitled to an end of service and that's what i mentioned before is if you're terminated for cause and therefore uh, without uh, the requirement of serving notice or being compensated for notice in that case you're still entitled to receive your end of service entitlements and that's the 21 days of basic salary for every year's service and then uh, and then it's uh, 30 days of basic salary for every year of service after uh, or you know, six year plus uh, also, there's a new provision in the law that states that end of service must be paid within 14 days from the end of end of contract. That's as per new Article 53. So this is quite interesting because we know so many cases where employees leave and, and then they spend years waiting for the end of service to be paid. So now the law specifically provides that end of service has to be has to be paid within 14 days. How it will be enforced it remains to be seen, but certainly is a tremendous step forward. So that's about it. So uh, overall, 
uh, termination is now a lot more flexible and it's a lot less punitive and termination of employment I'm talking about, not necessarily being terminated, but the end of employment is now a lot more flexible, uh, less punitive, uh, more equitable, uh, and um, perhaps more protective of employees' interest by virtue, for example, of that provision that requires the companies to pay employees end of service within 14 days. Uh, Ludmilla, just one brief final question on this. There's new regulation in the event that an employee passes away or whilst employed as well. Actually, this is a great, um, a great provision as well. And now the law ultimately allows, in fact, perhaps calls for employees uh, to uh, nominate a person that, uh, and, and, and share that nomination with their company, a person who would receive uh, their end of service entitlements in the event of the employee's death. So this is something that obviously now is expressly provided for in the law and in theory and in practice, employees should, um, should provide to the company at the outset, and companies specifically should be asking this information from all of their employees and having this sort of registered in the database. Uh, so in that case, when the employee passes away, the employer must pay the nominated person, the employee's end of service within 10 days of the employee's death or from the time that uh, the relative knows uh, of the employee's death. And I tell you, this is also quite interesting because we, um, we have had a number of cases where the family of employees. We have one case where the family of an employee who had worked for a company here for 35 years uh, passed away and the company still has not paid the end of service because they're demanding, for example, a court order. Well, a court order for relatives who are already grieving the, the loss of their loved ones mm. and they come from a different country is a little bit impractical. But uh, now there's a specific provision that allows and perhaps I would I would argue that even calls for companies to be proactive to get that uh, information from their employees so they have it on records in the event something that forbid were to happen at least there is an easy way for the family to be able to tap into um, that compensation uh, that uh, their relative uh, had accumulated over the time of their life and i think this is actually huge because there's so many employees here uh, that work for decades and provide for their families back home and granted, they send salaries back home, but they also, legally speaking, accumulating entitlements for the end of service for every year of their service in the country. So um, and for many, many of these employees in particular, perhaps in the service sector and construction uh, and domestic workers, um, this is a, it could be a lot of money uh, for their families. And so and their families at the same time, in practical terms, would never be able to come here and claim that end of service compensation in the past. They just... It's just it's too cumbersome. It's it too. Uh, it requires a court, uh, formal court process, and it's just really unattainable. But now with this provision, I would argue there is an obligation for companies to find out who these the relatives are, have them listed in the um, in the records, and therefore, uh, if in the event of death, there's no no requirement for a formal court process for um, uh, for empl- uh, for companies to go and find who that one relative should be who should receive the the employees end of service and also obviously then it would not allow companies to unfairly hold on kind of have this windfall right and hold on to entitlements that really belongs to someone else that's part six in our mini podcast series and our rather longer podcast on the UAE's new employment law, the end of employment entitlements. And that's another episode of Logical, 
Updates to the UAE's employment law in hopefully six easy pieces or one larger podcast, depending on how you like to listen. Ludmilla Yamalova is the managing partner here at Yamalova and Plethka, as ever, a legal expert here on Logical as well. Thank you, Ludmilla. Thank you, Tim. As always, it's been very insightful to be chatting with you. You can find us at LY Law on social media easily, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, wherever you like. We've also now got a really easy to search library of hundreds of podcasts on all kinds of legal issues here in the UAE, and they are all free to download and listen to. If you'd like a legal question answered in a future episode of Logical or a consultation with a qualified UAE experienced legal professional, click contact at lylawyers.com.